Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Three Point Threat, a Utah Jazz show. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Excited to be making my debut on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Uh, make sure from here on out every Monday at noon Mountain Time, if you want to get your jazz fix at lunch, make sure you tune in to Dash Radio. Um, the Three Point Threat will first air here. Um, if you're not able to catch it at noon on Mondays, um, you can still find it on Block Talk Radio and on iTunes by subscribing to the Three Point Threat podcast. Uh, so make sure you do that as well so you're not missing out on any of the great jazz content that I'll be putting out. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, um, it's called the Three Point Threat because each week I will be going over three points that relate to the Utah Jazz or the NBA as a whole um, and really diving in on each of those to break up the show into three segments. So for today's show, I'm excited to announce that my uh, the JNotes.com colleague, uh, Ryan Aston is going to join me. And he and I, first and foremost, we're going to discuss our impressions of the Jazz, uh, both of the three games they've played so far, and just take a look at each player on the roster and give our initial impressions after three games. For point number two, we're going to preview the upcoming week ahead, just as we'll do every single week here on the three-point threat. We'll look at the Jazz's three opponents they have next week and how we think they'll fare. For the third and final point, we'll give our impressions of the league as a whole. Obviously, it's early. It's a small sample size. A lot could change. But we want to break down what we've seen so far and what we think we can expect for the rest of the 2017-18 season uh, for the teams across the league. So without further ado, let's jump right in. I'll introduce Ryan Aston over the phone, and we'll get on with point number one. Point one. So to get started with point number one, I want to first and foremost introduce my J-Notes colleague, Ryan Aston, who is joining the show over the phone. Ryan, how are you doing today? Good. Glad to have you joining me once again on the uh, three-point threat. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I guess first and foremost, um, give me your thoughts just on, obviously, like I said, the Jazz's 2 and one start. I think it's a, an exciting way to begin the season, especially against the level of competition they were playing against. It is. I mean, these are the teams that they're kind of going to be matched with in the playoff picture. And, and I think probably if you asked 100 casual fans, 80 of them would say all three of these teams are better than the Jazz. Yeah. Maybe we don't feel that way, but, but the fact that they've played how they have against, I mean, I think all three are playoff teams. And two of the three really are, are pegged for maybe top four spots. Like, the way they've been able to play against them has just been great. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think you look at all three games and there's so many positive takeaways. You look at the game against Denver and there is that, you know, really a spirited comeback down by 15 um, in the third quarter to just come back and really run away with it in the final 16 or so minutes. Really shut down Jokic, I thought. You know, even you had Joe Johnson uh, playing great defense on him. Uh, Minnesota, obviously we lost that one, but I felt like there was still a lot of good takeaways because, you know, besides Jamal Crawford killing us in the fourth quarter, there really was another guy that just totally blew us away. And really, a late turnovers yeah. are what killed us there. And then OKC, obviously, the whole game just went our way. I think all three just, we looked phenomenal. So it was awesome to see. It really was. And it's kind of weird. Like, like they lost the Timberwolves game by. I almost felt better about the team after that game than after the first game. I mean, they had a big comeback against Denver. And and that was happy. I was happy to see that because I think playing from behind is something this team really can't do that much this year. But, but the fact in game one that they did it, super encouraging um, but, but really the Minnesota game impressed me because this is a team that I think I think they'll be a top three offense and the Jazz 
with them, and, and really uh, there were some fluky things that happened, and, and, and like you said, Crawford had to really go off for them to kind of give up their lead. So I, I was really impressed by that game. And that team has a lot of offensive talent, and the fact that they held them as they did for 90% of the game was really encouraging for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess, honestly, I was I was probably just too bound by the loss and, and took it a little bit more dramatically than I should, but I was a little disappointed after that game. But when you put it that way, you bring up a lot of good points that the Jazz looked they looked good more often than they looked bad in that game. There's just a few little things they needed to clean up, and, and that's a victory against a very good team. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and the Thunder game was just, I mean, it couldn't have gone better. That that's, I, I, I wouldn't want to stick it to any other team more probably than the Thunder, and that's <laughs> what they did. I mean, I, Joe Ingles kind of jabbing people all game. That, that was, it, it did my heart good, and, and I feel like I, I'm maybe not as, as high on the Thunder as some people. I, I think they're going to have some chemistry stuff. Yeah. But that's still, that's, uh, arguably one of the five best teams in the league, and the Jazz just stuck it to them. Yeah. I mean, I look at how much trouble have we had with containing Westbrook in recent seasons. I mean, I remember last year he just ate Dante Exum's lunch, and it was really unfortunate to see. I mean, you had, like, Donovan Mitchell and Ricky yeah. Rubio on him that did really well. You had Mitchell on Paul George for a lot of the night, and he did great against him as well. And it's just like we're going toe-to-toe with these all-stars and not batting an eye, and it's just absolutely awesome to see. Yeah, no, I'm the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah. It's just impressive. Yeah, I agree. So before we go into kind of what my main focus of of point number one was, going through each of the Jazz players and giving our early impressions, I just want to ask you something, Ryan. How do you, what are your thoughts on Utah's offense so far? Because I know I, for one, have been extremely impressed with their offense. Yeah, it's weird. Like, if you look at the stats, like, right now I think in offensive rating, they're they're right in the middle. I think they're like 14th or 15th. Mm -hmm. Um. But, but as far as efficiency, like, you compare that to, like, league average last year, they're, they're still a little bit below. But to me, that's not concerning. The, the, the thing for me is, are, are they going to be able to score when they need to in the clutch, when it's, like, a five-point or less game, or they're playing from behind, or, you know, if, if they're down to the, the wire and they need to get a bucket? Like, I'm more concerned about that, like, if, if they'll be able to do that. And they, I think, have guys that can do that. Yeah. And they may not have the shooters that, that some people think they need to have, but I think what they do have, just guys individually who can go and get baskets. I mean, even more than last year's team, I would say. Yeah, I agree. And I really think that, you know, we knew they were going to have an elite defense coming into the year. We all were, were pretty much sold on that. And I think more than anything, their offense only needs to be good enough to be able to outscore what they're going to be able to hold teams to. And so far, they've shown more than capable of being able to do that. I mean, they've been they've been able to score, I wouldn't say at will per se, but with their ball movement, with several guys being able to contribute, their offense doesn't look like a weakness hardly at all. So I, I'm really optimistic about the offense just really exceeding people's expectations. Yeah, and I think Rubio's been a big part of that. Uh, you look at the Jazz the last, gosh, back to Darren Williams' heyday, even though they've been a team that throws more passes than, than almost anyone in the league, like they're not getting a lot of assists, and, and there's a lot of extra action that has to happen for them to be successful just because they haven't had the guys that can kind of capitalize on what the offense is generating. And I feel like Rubio kind of changes that. I mean, you, you look at the Jazz, that they're assisting on a much higher percentage of, of their passes, and, and, and 
really, I, I think it's infectious. I, I think you look like the second unit, and, and they've just been able to move the ball, and, and it's been really fun to watch. Yeah, I agree, and I'm glad you bring up Rubio. He was the first player I wanted to start with as we go through our early impressions of each Jazz player so far, and uh, I agree 100%. I've been very impressed with Ricky Rubio. I mean, he is only shooting 36.4% so far, which admittedly is a little bit concerning, but I feel like he's doing so many other things well. He's helping that offense hum. He's sharing the ball, as you said, and even though maybe he's not converting you know, baskets on a high, at a high rate, I feel like he's making very timely shots. Like against Oklahoma City, I felt like there were so many like mid-range jump shots that he made at the perfect time. You know, right when they were kind of making a little bit of a run, he just he knows when to take what shots, and he's making the ones that we really need. So that he's been awesome to watch in my mind. Yeah, I agree. And, and the one thing that we said about him is he can't shoot whatever, but but in the mid-range, he's actually not bad. Yeah. And I haven't looked at the numbers, but just from the eye test, I feel like that's that's been true. He, he's knocked down those mid-range jumpers, and like you said, he's knocked them down when we needed them. And, and you know, we knew he wasn't going to be like a lights-out shooter. This is kind of what, what was advertised with him, and, and I think it's really offset by, by the points that he creates for others. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, his his three-point shot, I feel like more than anything, which, again, we knew he wasn't a, a lockdown shooter from three, I feel like that's what's been really driving down his field goal percentage as well because minus a few missed shots here and there, yeah, like you said, his mid-range has, has been pretty solid from what I can see, and I'm excited for what he's going to bring to the team this year. Yeah, no doubt. I, I completely agree. And then defensively as well, I, I mean, especially against the Thunder, he, he was just harassing people. And, and there were a couple times he gambled and – and missed, and it led to a basket. But I think on the whole, like he, he's disrupting people, and, and it's been a, a really good thing. Yeah, I, I admit I've been impressed with his defense, too. I mean, we were always kind of sold on the fact that George Hill was, um, you know, an elite wing defender last year. But, you know, a lot of times when he got matched up, you know, Russell Westbrook's one of the first that comes to mind. But a lot of times when he got matched up against such quick point guards, he didn't really do that much. And Rubio so far has been awesome at stealing the ball, at being a pest. Um, so that's been great to see. The one thing I, I also would like to see him clean up, and I think it will get better over time as he gets used to this new team and they get used to him, um, but just the turnovers. I'd love to see him clean those up a little bit, and I really think he will. Yeah, I will too. I think it's just a familiarity thing. I mean, we've seen multiple lob attempts to Rudy that were just like a little high or a little low, and I think it, it just takes time for guys to, to know where they're going to be and where they like the ball, and, and I expect that to get cleaned up as well. Definitely. Uh, next guy on the list wanted to talk about, um, I'm feeling pretty passionate about this one, so I'll let you go first, but tell me your thoughts on Rodney Hood so far. Oh, boy. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. You know, he, played really, he played really well in the second game, I thought. Yep. I, it's hard. I, I don't want to be negative here with him, especially because he's been hurt and, and suffering from the infamous gastric distress. Yeah, infamous. Um, before, before the injury the other day. Um, I don't think it's set in stone that he's going to be the guy that's going to make up all of the, the scoring that left with Gordon Hayward. Nope. Uh, I think that's what you want, ideally. And he, he's shown signs that, that, that maybe he could do that. But I think it's going to be more of a an offense by committee, myself. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. One interesting thing is if you look, I was looking at the Jazz 
um, their their stats right now. And their top three scorers are, are Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, and Ricky Rubio. They're all dead even at 14.7 points per game, which blew me away that you have three players that are averaging the same number of points. But that that's how balanced they've been, and I thought that was really cool. And, I mean, you look at that game against the Thunder, and one of the reasons why I thought they would beat us initially was because we weren't going to have Hood for that game. I just thought that was going to be another thing that was going to make them outmatch us. But we just came up so strong without him. A couple things about Rodney Hood. One is I feel like his defense just isn't quite up to snuff with the rest of with the rest of the team. He frustrates me a lot on the defensive end. Yeah, and this is probably you know early overreaction alert. It's very early. I realize this, but I just am. I'm really quickly running out of patience with Hood just because it, it feels like there's an injury you know all the time. And I guess I can't judge. I don't know how how bad he was hurt with this latest one. But, you know, people were thinking he had a torn Achilles or something was just awful from the way he was acting, had to be carried off the court. And then it ends up just being a, a leg strain. It's kind of like, okay, it makes you, it just makes you wonder, is this guy just not playing through stuff that he could? Or what's the deal here? Because every single time any minor thing goes wrong, he's not suiting up, and it's starting to just drive me nuts. Yeah, it, it's tough. And, and, you know, we're not doctors, and we're not seeing his, his MRIs and all that. Yeah, but, exactly. But just... <laughs> From, from the eyeball and, and just from feel, it just feels like it shouldn't be happening this way. Mm-hmm. And, and even when he's healthy, I, I just don't know that he's consistent enough yep. to be your primary guy for an entire season. Like, he was he was super hot against the Timberwolves. And I think he's shown that he can have those stretches and he'll continue to have those stretches. But, but what concerns me is the games where he's one for nine with five points. Yeah. And those, it's hard because he's been hurt, but when he's been on the floor, I feel like those games are far too frequent to be counting on him to lead your offense. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's like, I feel like if he's maybe your third or third best wing option or something like that, and you know, you have him to hit those three-pointers when he's open and things like that, then he's great. But to think he's going to be our top scorer more and more, it's looking like that's going to be a long shot. And I feel like I've given Hood a lot of, a lot of chances. I'm sure you know that he's, he frustrated me a lot last year just with his shot selection sometimes. Sometimes he's a bit of a ball stopper, yeah. things like that. But just the fact that, like I said, his inconsistency and now his just constant battle with injuries... I'm just, I just have to say I'm really glad that Jazz didn't extend him because I think he has so, so much to prove this year that I'm glad we didn't gamble on him too early. Yeah, yeah, and, and really, like, I think fans need to temper their expectations. Like, even though we want him to step in for Hayward, he'll never be Gordon Hayward. He's yeah. not Gordon Hayward on either side of the ball. He never will be. He, he, he could be really good. He, he can do some things. Uh, even when his shot's not falling, I, I think his ability to kind of handle the ball and, and direct the offense, even though he's not always the best at, at finding the guy with the assist, he, he has an ability to run up the offense a little bit and handle the ball, and then that works in his favor. But I, I, if he's not Gordon Hayward, he never will be. And, and just as a primary guy, it, I don't know. I. I don't see it personally, but, you know, it, it's early, and, and maybe he'll get healthy and everything will be fine, but, but I, I think we need to reserve judgment. Yeah, I agree. Moving on now to, to Joe Ingles. I'll, I'll go first here. I, I'm, I've been really, obviously, very, very thrilled with Ingles so far, and the first thing that comes to my mind, Ryan, is that 
so far, again, we all know it's early, but so far he has proved everybody wrong that he wasn't deserving of the big pay raise. He's been phenomenal so far. Obviously, he was the leading scorer against um, the Thunder. And even after that game, uh, Quinn Snyder said he still wants Joe Ingles to shoot the ball more. And obviously, he's 63% from deep right now. He's looking great so far, off to a great start. And I, I hope he just continues building on that. Yeah, and, and to me, it seems like the more confident... I mean, this is for most players, but the more confident he gets, just the better he plays. And, and like to such a large degree. And he's playing with such confidence right now. And... and to me, like, the people that, that sort of naysay on the contract, like, it's it's a descending deal. Like, he's making his big 14, I don't know, 14.5 million this year, and it's going to go down every year. And by the time we're in year four, he's down to $10 million a year, which at that point in time is going to be well below average for a player of his caliber. So, so for me, the deal is, I, I don't see, I think people look at the big number, and it's a little bit of sticker shock, but if you actually look at how, how the contract is structured, like, that's a really awesome deal, really. I mean, they're paying him this year when they can afford to, when, let's be honest, there probably aren't the same expectations for the team, and, and it's just going to go down, and, and meanwhile, he's he's been awesome. And I don't know if it's sustainable. I mean, he's shooting 60% from the field and from three, um, but, but I think he's going to be better than he was last year. And he just does so many things, and I think it affects the whole team when he's out there doing his thing. Yeah, I agree. In a lot of ways, you know, we've always kind of talked about how Rudy Gobert is kind of the heart and soul of the team, and I, I still think that's true. But it's almost like Joe Ingles is, is heart and soul 2.0. I mean, you see la- you see uh, the last game against the Thunder, he's out there bickering and, and, tr- and talking trash and all this and just getting the whole team fired up, playing awesome. It's just it's great to see. It's true, and there's really, I think, we look at stats and we look at measurables and all that. There's really something to be said for those guys that can bring that energy and, and that toughness. And we had Trevor Booker in here a few years ago, and wow, in hindsight, I mean, he or Trey Lyles, you, you kind of wish it had gone the other way at this point. But I guess, you know, we got Mitchell out of it, so yeah. <laughs> that's that. But, but those guys, it's just so underrated to me, those guys. The, the glue guys, the guys that just bring a fire and, and it really stretches to the rest of the team, and that's what he does. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to put it. And the Jazz really are a team with a lot of glue guys that, as they continue to build this chemistry, I think we'll see a lot of success out of them. Um, tell me your thoughts so far on Derek Favors. Obviously, he missed a lot of last year. Um, how do you think he's looked so far this year? Oh, watching him just makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be the 16.8 rebound, two block guy again. Um, I, I really think they need to try and monitor his minutes a little bit, and they've kind of done that through the season. I don't know if he's topped 30 minutes yet this year, but when he's been out there, he, he's been the favors we remember, and I think as long as they are careful with him and put him in the best spot to succeed, he, he's going to keep doing that. And it's just been incredible to watch. Yeah, for me, you know, I, I agree, Ryan, that I'm I'm being cautiously optimistic right now. I think he looks, I think he has looked very solid. I love, when Favors mid-range game is on, I, I just love what it adds to his game. And so far, his mid-range game has been pretty solid. Uh, don't know how I feel about him chucking up the threes he has so far. We'll, we'll see if he gets that going a little bit oh, better. My. Yeah, but the mid-range yeah, game is like... Yeah, yeah, I agree. But his, his mid-range game has looked good, and like you said, he's moved well. So I'm very cautiously optimistic about favors right now. I hope he can keep it up for the whole season. Yeah, and really it's unfortunate. 
fortunate with the injuries because that mid-range game was improving every year and it was getting to the point where it was really a weapon for him and then the injuries come and it, it was almost like he was starting at square one but but it's been huge that he's been able to hit those. I mean, you talk about spacing, it's not all the three-point line and if he knocks that down, it really changes things space-wise for the Jazz. Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. Um, one guy that... Um, I think we all are, are not too concerned just yet, but I do feel like Rudy Gobert has gotten off to a little bit of an odd start. Not that his his you know his his points rebounds numbers have been just fine about right where we want to see him. It's just been weird though because he's had a negative plus minus in all three games so far. And in my mind, you know, just from looking at the eye test, I feel like defensively he hasn't looked as as stifling as he did last year. Um, like I said, it's still early. I think he'll pick it up. He'll get everything, you know, ramped up. But I've been minorly concerned just with the start of Rudy Gobert because I thought he'd come in and just really pick up where he left off last year. And and so far, his defense hasn't quite been, quite been where I thought it would be. Yeah, it's been really weird. And, and I, like like you said, you don't want to get too worried about it. I mean, the Jazz are winning games, and he, he's played pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, and really, even though... His, some of his numbers are kind of strange, and he's not like blocking a ton of shots. You, you can see that he, he's out there. He, he's making people change their minds and, and alter course. And, and, and so I'm not super worried, but it is really weird. Like like some of the numbers are like crazy. Like I was looking at the on off and the Jazz net rating. This is a crazy number. It, it is fifty almost fifty six when he's off the floor. Wow. I mean, that's insanity. We're talking three games, so, I mean, those numbers are going to be crazy anyway. Um, but but just the fact that, that he's been a minus on the floor, and some of that, I think, is who they played. Um, I think really a big factor in the Jets winning these games has been their ability to go 12 deep, where these other teams can't, and, and the bench has been amazing. But, but, yeah, it's been a weird start. And the other thing, and I don't want to be the guy that's complaining about referees, but he, he's he's not getting calls that he got last year. He's not going to the line, and I don't think it's really any fault of his. He's just not getting the same calls he got last season. Yeah, those are all good points. I feel like, you know, like you said, the, all, a lot of the intangibles he brings, the altering shots and all that, he's obviously still bringing that to the table, even though it doesn't show up in a box score. I think I'll wait until, you know, a few more weeks into the season before I, I really pass too much judgment on it. It's just been kind of a funky start number-wise, but I, I think Rudy will be just fine. I think we, we will both agree on that. Yeah, and even though we, we kind of focus on some of the defensive stuff that, that looks off numerically, like I think offensively it can be better. Like You've seen moments where that Rubio-Gobert pick-and-roll looks amazing, but, but I don't think they've really completely meshed yet. And I think once they do, like, like it's going to be a huge thing for the Jazz offensively. Yeah, you know that you bring up a good point there. I was reading on something on Twitter the other day. Someone was saying that you know you look at Gobert last year, and most of his pick and rolls were with George Hill and Gordon Hayward. Well, now both of his primary pick and roll guys are gone. That's a big adjustment for a guy that right. gets most of his scoring off the pick and roll. So yeah, I, I definitely agree there. It is, and the guys that he's working with now, they're just totally different players. I mean, George mm-hmm. Hill, he could pop back and, and knock down a three on someone. That's not Rubio's game. Yeah. But I think it can be equally effective just with Rubio's vision and, and kind of Rudy's offensive awareness. It's just going to take time. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, now, you know, we've gone to the five stars we've gone through. Well, Rodney Hood's actually started less games than, than the next guy I want to talk about. But how about Donovan Mitchell so far? I, I mean, would you have believed 
Um, if I had told you three games in that he'd have more starts than Rodney Hood. <laughs> Crazy. No. I, I, I mean, I think in our sort of staff predictions piece that there were two or three of us that said he was going to start at some point, but I don't think any of us would have said that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, you know, I think that Mitchell overall has been a positive. Obviously, his his shots have not fallen all that well just yet, which you expect out of a rookie. But I feel like he's done so many other things well. Um, in a lot of other ways, he doesn't look like a rookie out there. You know, he seems to fit in well. He's making great passes. He was the assist leader against the Thunder um, for the Jazz. And I'm excited about what he's going to be. And I think once he calms down a little bit, once he settles in a little bit more, that shot's going to start falling. I mean, you think about it, and this was a guy that thought he was going to be playing off the bench in the backcourt alongside Dante Exum in the blink of an eye. Now he's pretty much taking Exum's minutes. Hood has barely played, so he's had to be the starter in front of Hood. Like His role has just shifted in a matter of a couple days, and he's done really well you know, um, given the, the kind of the strange situation he's been forced into. Yeah, and if you look at plus minus, he's like one of five or six jasmine that are, that are in the positive, and he's way in the positive. And yeah. It's like you said, he's doing these other things, and he may not be hitting his shots, um, but I've been impressed with his shot selection compared to summer league and the preseason even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, he's consciously trying to make the play that he needs to make, and, and I like to see that. That's what you want to see. I, I, it really doesn't bother me that they're not following. They're they're not following for him. Like like he still has that great form, and I think they will fall for him eventually. Yeah. Um, but but the other things that he's done have been super encouraging, and he just has those moments where you know he's going to be special. I mean, that's we try to pump the brakes, I guess, and and be impartial and not homers. But but I don't know, man. Like, he he looks. I think he's going to be something special still. Yeah, I know. I definitely agree. And, you know, a lot of those shots he's missing, I feel like, have been either, you know, like finishes that have just rolled off the rim or an open three that just didn't go down. And I feel like, you know, one of these games, you know, potentially even this upcoming week, given the, some of the teams that we're playing, I feel like Mitchell may have kind of a breakout or maybe a mini breakout game where things really click for him in regular season play, and then we just see him take off from there. I mean, I, I have nothing but high hopes and optimism about the kid. I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. Oh, you and me both. And it's funny, like like you talk about him driving to the basket and not finishing, he almost feels like Milt Palacio-esque, like hitting the guys with these moves and getting all the way to the pin and just sort of failing. But just physically and his, his work ethic... And his skill level is so high that you just know eventually those are going to start going down and, and it's really going to be a weapon for him in the Jazz. Yeah, that's right on point. Um, next bench guy who Quinn Snyder, you know, earlier in the year before the season started said he thought could be the league sixth man of the year, uh, that's Joe Johnson. You know, I honestly don't have a ton to say about him other than he's steady. He's who we expect he's, he, he's going to be. Um, and I have nothing bad to say about Joe Johnson. I love every time he, he's on the floor. He has struggled a little bit from three so far to start the year, but not worried about that at all. He's going to get it going. I've loved what I, I've loved what I've seen out of Joe Johnson so far. Yeah, he just he just gets buckets. And, and honestly, like I think he could play another three or four years if he wanted to, and he'll just keep getting buckets. Yep. And, and the Jazz the Jazz need that, especially in the clutch, and, and that's where he shines. And the Timberwolves game notwithstanding, like he's going to continue to be that guy they go to, and and he's. He's the best option, and I think he's going to keep delivering. You know, it's just like you said, it's going to take some time maybe for him to get his legs under him, but, but he'll be fine, and he's been good. And yeah, you know, he does 
give the effort defensively. He's not going to shut anyone down, but but he'll he'll be fine there as well. And I think he's off to a decent start. Yeah, for sure. I've actually been pleasantly surprised with his defense too. Um, you know, there were a couple times where he forced uh, Jokic into turnovers against Denver. I thought he played pretty good defense against Carmelo, and just it's so interesting. You know, people talk a lot about the transformation of Joe Johnson, how he was, you know, he was a shooting guard <laughs> in his career and really just a wing guy, yeah. and, and now he's just really gotten down to he can grind in the post with the best of them, and it's it's awesome to see. I think that he's really bought into this team's defensive identity, and he's not about to slow that down. It's been fun seeing him on both ends. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like he doesn't have the athleticism. He's not gonna do crazy 8K47 block shots and, and play passing lanes or anything like that. But, but he's such a smart player. Like, he just knows where to put his hands. He knows angles. He knows how to use his body defensively. And, and I've been impressed, too, with his ability to use those things to his advantage so far. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what about Alec Burks, Ryan? What's been your thoughts on him so far? Kind of the same deal as Sabres. It's just been awesome to watch him do his thing. I think in the past, when he's kind of had false starts on his comeback attempts, and maybe teased us with a game here or there, and then clearly wasn't physically ready to go. I think this time it's different. I think you see him, and you see the old Alec Burks, and you kind of expect him to do what he was able to do. It's just physically, I think, is different than it's been the last few years when he's tried to come back. Yeah, I agree. And I'd say he's kind of a mixed bag for me so far, but that's mainly because... His playing time's been pretty inconsistent. You know, he looked awesome against Denver. Uh, then he barely played against Minnesota. Uh, he didn't look too great in the minutes he was in there. But just as far as having his athleticism back and looking more like the Burks of old, that's all been great. Um, I do think there's been more positive out of Burks than negative. And especially if Hood's going to continue to struggle to stay on the floor, he's going to have a big opportunity to prove that he still deserves to be, you know, a key part of this team. And I'm pulling for him 100%. I'd love to see him be able to get back to being that impact player that we all thought he would be. Yeah, and I, if something goes awry with, with Rodney, I, I kind of worry about him playing heavy minutes all the time just based on his history. Um, but, but you never know. That may be what the Jazz have to do, and if he can keep doing what he's been doing for the most part, I, I think he'll surprise some people this year. But, but you know, like we've said, it's three games. He's had some awesome moments in three games, but... We need to see kind of how things play out and if, if he can really continue to do the things he's been doing physically. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, you know, we're, we're going to see, too, if if Hood and Mitchell are just dominant. You know, it may be that Burks isn't playing that many minutes and that they're trying to save him more for, um, you know, kind of conserve him, keep him healthy, all that. So be interesting to see how he pans out. Yeah. The one thing that I've liked about him is he's, he's clearly a, a smarter player than he's ever been before. Quinn Snyder, I think it was after the season opener, talked about his his sort of defensive will and his desire to guard people that maybe wasn't always there before. And and David Lockhart on it all through the preseason, like he's he's making a play before the ball comes to him, as opposed to getting the ball and then no one knows what he's doing, including himself. Um, so, so that that's been good to see from him as well. Definitely. Uh, then there's uh, Tabo Cephalosha, who, you know, I kind of have the same sentiment on him as I have with Joe Johnson. I feel like he's pretty much lived up to our expectations exactly. He's been great on defense. He's brought a lot of grit. Um, he's actually shooting, you know, 50% from the field, which is good. His, his three ball hasn't fallen much yet. But I just think he's been steady. He's been solid. He's been exactly what the Jazz have needed so far. Yeah, he's he's been awesome. It's, it's 
funny, with guys like he and Johnson, you wonder what the Jazz could have done if they would have gotten them in their primes. Yeah. And the Jazz had kind of some, some better options. But, but you know, we have them now, and, and they've been awesome. I think Cephalosha's D-rating right now is about 81, which is the second best on the team. And, and then offensively, I, I've always felt that he's so underrated just on his awareness and kind of his off-ball movement. And I think we've seen it in all three games so far, just getting backdoor cuts and, and, and making passes to the right guy. And, and really, he, along with a couple other guys, uh, Epe Udo, who we'll talk about, mm-hmm. they've really spearheaded an awesome bench effort from the Jazz. Yeah, actually, Udo is the next guy I want to talk about. And I have, I've honestly been absolutely blown away by him so far. He, I, I've been most impressed with him of any of the free agent signings we had. Um, I was looking at his numbers earlier today, and he's averaging a plus-minus so far of 15.3, which is far and above the highest on the team. Um, you know, before the season, he claimed that he was one of the world's best defenders, and I actually tweeted this. You know, I think we all kind of scoffed at that at the time, uh, but nobody, nobody's making fun of that now. I think in three, even though it's only been three games, he has definitely shown that he is a defensive powerhouse. And one of the biggest concerns, yeah, one of the just real quick, one of the biggest concerns I had with the Jazz last year was. Whenever Gobert went off the floor, you always kind of held your breath because you didn't know if the defense would be able to hold. Now when Udo's come in, you could argue that the defense has been better in this small sample size. Uh, but whether it's going to be better or not, I mean, Udo's just looked fabulous when he's come off the bench to kind of be the stopgap for Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I feel like he's almost been like Draymond Green-esque. I mean, that's kind of a crazy comparison, I guess. But but he really has been that good. And, and as good as Rudy is, and I think he's actually underrated um, in his ability to kind of guard the pick and roll and, and kind of close out on guys on the perimeter when he has to. Udo's on a whole other level as far as his, his defensive mobility. And then he still has that shot blocking ability. I mean, he's, he's playing, what, 13, 14 minutes a game. He's fifth in the league in block shots right now. Yeah, and leading the jazz in blocks. And, yeah, and, he, and he, even offensively, like, he, he's not, like, scoring tons of points, but he's making good passes. He's setting screens, and, and he's in the right spot. He, he, to me, has been the biggest surprise of the season for the Jazz. I mean, he got a guy, Jonas Jarepko, who I thought could play a big role for the Jazz. And, and throughout his career, he's been a, a really good stretch bit, big, and he plays defense, and he passes pretty well, and, and he's not even seen the floor. Yeah. Um, I think because Udo's been so good. Yeah. And that's, that's really been a plus for the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head. And you know, I will say, the only thing about Jarebko, obviously he hasn't played any, but I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but every time the Jazz go to the bench, I feel like Jarebko is also one of the first ones out there high-fiving them, getting them fired up. And I just love to see that from a guy that even though he's maybe not having an opportunity right this very minute, you know, he's still out there pulling for his team, supporting them. And I think that he'll just be a great fit in the locker room and, and everything, regardless of how much playing time he gets. So just some good signings this offseason by the yeah. Jazz. Very underrated. Um, then last of all, um, I guess, you know, Royce O'Neal and uh, how old Neto. Obviously, Neto played his first game against the Thunder back from injury. I just feel like with him, you you know what to expect from him, and he does his job well. O'Neal, I mean, we'll see how much time he really gets this year. I'm still a little bit bummed that Ball and Boy's off the team. Even I like O'Neal as well, but it um, be interesting to see what role yeah. he plays down the road for the Jazz. Yeah, I think we all were kind of home for Ball and Boy, but, but for me, watching him, especially during summer league, was just stressful. Yeah, and the guy had been in the system for for a whole year, and, and he gets the ball, and it's like he doesn't know what's happening or what he should do. 
And it's unfortunate because I, I think he, he's worked hard and he did have a really good preseason. Um, but, but in the end, I understood the move to keep O'Neill in it. I don't know how much he'll end up playing, like you said, but, but I, I, I think it's a good sort of depth guy to have. And he's versatile and, and, and can do different things. Um, as far as Neto, I, I, I'm kind of a, a Hal Neto apologist or supporter. I, <laughs> I, I, I like the guy and I think he was okay when he played, but I think ideally, you want the Jazz to be healthy enough that he's not playing a lot. And that hasn't been the case for the last several years, but, but we're due, right? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think it's good to have him because he's a reliable enough option that, you know, he can be on the floor and not be a total liability. But I agree that it'd be nice if we were finally healthy enough that we didn't have to rely on him playing backup minutes night in and night out. But I just I love that he yeah, never and, gives up and he's always playing hard regardless of his opportunities. Yeah, and, I, and we saw last year in the playoffs, Quinn went to him and, and he was he was good. I mean, as good as you can be against Chris Paul. But like you said, yeah, we, we just hopefully we're, we're, the Jazz are healthy and, and, and we don't have to rely on him as much. Well, that is our thoughts on the entire Jazz roster so far. Obviously, a lot of these impressions are based on very early looks at the team, but very few complaints. I feel like overall, the Jazz have looked really good across the board and excited to see what they do uh, moving forward. So with that being said, uh, let's move on now to point number two. Point two. So for the second point, um, just like we want to do every single week on the three-point threat, we're going to take a look ahead at the games the Jazz have during the upcoming week and just give our thoughts and predictions on, on what we think the outcomes are going to be. Uh, Ryan, I feel like this is kind of an interesting week for the Jazz because they will uh, play the Clippers on Tuesday, so have a little bit of a break between games. That one will be on the road. And then they go on to play two of the teams that I think are going to be among the worst in the league in the Phoenix Suns and Lakers um, on Wednesday and Saturday. So we won't get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with the game on Tuesday in L.A. What are your thoughts on the Jazz-Clippers matchup coming up? This one's interesting because I think you and I are of a different mind on the Clippers. I I really, I mean, losing Chris Paul is never a good thing, but I think in light of that, like, they did about as, as well a job as, as you can in replacing that production. I, the only problem for me with them is they're relying on guys that really have been perpetually injured. Yeah. But but if, if Griffin's there and Gallinari's there, like, those are, are two of the best offensive players in the league. Uh, Griffin could be an MVP candidate if he, if he would stay healthy. Um, as far as the game against the Jazz, I, I look at it as another measuring stick game. I, I feel like the Clippers are another one of those teams that's kind of right in that 5 to 9 or 10 range in the West, um, and there's not a lot of separation there. But it's a road game, and I think the Jazz defense is going to be tested. Not that they haven't been tested so far, but I, I think it's a different look, and I'm curious to see what they can do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And um, you know, you touched on that you and I are on a little bit different mindset with the Clippers. I know when we had our our preseason picks on an earlier show, I believe you had the, the Clippers fifth and I had them tenth. You know, after watching them so far, uh, I think I'm a little higher on them than I was in the preseason. Obviously, the teams they've played haven't been great. They, they've played the, the Suns and the right. uh, Lakers, as I mentioned. But that being said... 
They, they have looked really solid, and the one thing that I do think is a, a big plus for them is in some ways they're kind of like the Jazz in that they lost some of their big scores last se- from last season, but they replaced it with a lot of depth. I mean, the Clippers are a deep team now. Um, they have a pesky point guard in Patrick Beverly. They have an excellent front court. So I agree. I think this is going to be a really good test, a really good measuring stick for the Jazz on the road. Um, they'll both be going into it off equal days of rest. So I think we could be in for a really close game, a really good game on Tuesday. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think Gobert probably as much as anyone is not satisfied with what his season has been so far, and I think that combined with going against DJ is really going to get him fired up for the game. Uh, uh, one thing about the Clippers, the whole Milos Tudosic thing—that uh, that's just unfortunate. Uh, I mean, he 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 beats out Beverly for the start, and then he's going to have to deal with plantar fasciitis, and, and we know how that is just with Rodney Hood. And, yeah. Over the years, Tim Duncan battled it on and off, and it's just kind of a weird deal. Like, you're you're in limbo, and you don't really know when you're going to be able to come back. It's just unfortunate, because I think he was really moving that offense. He really can pass. It's, it's Rubio-esque. And contrary to Rubio, like, he can actually shoot a little bit, which, which I was really excited to see what he'd do in that offense with, with those weapons around him. Um, but, but like you said, Beverly's a scrappy guard. And he's a great defender, and, and I agree, it's going to be a test for the Jazz. Yeah, the other thing that I'm interested to see is, you know, at least, obviously both teams, both the Jazz and the Clippers, have changed a lot since their playoff series last year. Uh, but still a lot of the same guys, and since the first meeting since the playoffs, you know there's going to still be some bad blood a little bit between the two teams. I can really see this game having a little bit of an early season uh, playoff atmosphere, and that both are really going to come out and prove that, hey, look, we revamped. We're, we're a different team than we were last year, but we still want to get back at these guys. Or if you're the Jazz, you still want to prove that you're better than these guys that you just beat in the playoffs. So seeing that dynamic and how they're going to react to one another is going to be fun. End of the day, who are you picking to win the game? I mean, I, I want to say the Jazz, but I, I, I feel like we're living on borrowed time a little bit with, with some of these wins. Um, so I'm going to be the, the Cassandra and say that this is the game. They kind of falter a little bit and maybe look like the Jazz team that some of the national guys expected. All right. I probably am one that rides the highs too much and gets too down on the downs, but I'm picking the Jazz in this one. I, I do think that um, the Jazz are going to match up really well against the Clippers now that Chris Paul's out of the picture. And if they can have yeah. any, if they can have any semblance of the defense they had against Oklahoma City, uh, I think they'll be able to get the win. It'll be another tough road contest. We, we're yet to win a road game, obviously. Uh, but I'm gonna. I, I could see the Clippers winning. Don't get me wrong. But I'm gonna go out and pick the Jazz in this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, you really could go either way. But I'm excited to see how it plays out. Like you said, they're both kind of trying to prove themselves after changes, and I think it's gonna be a good game. Yeah, for sure. Next one. So it is the second night of a back-to-back. Um, again on the road at Phoenix. That really is my only concern, though. And even with that. Um, I just feel like the Jazz better just dominate this game. The Jazz better just blow the, blow the Suns out. That's really my thinking on this one. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Phoenix, to me, Phoenix is the worst organization in the league. I mean, even worse than the Kings. Like, did you see the Eric Bledsoe tweet? Yeah, and, the, and they fired Earl Watson already as well. So, it, yeah, they're not in a good spot, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's really crazy. Like, I, I, I'm an Earl guy, and as much as people hate on Tyrone Corbin around here. I like him, and I liked his involvement with that staff and memos down there. 
But I think organizationally, they, they just sort of set Earl up to fail. And you can go back to, to when many thought, you know, this is the year we really tank and, and try and get some young guys and go for the future. And they go out and sign Tyson Chandler. And, and they, they they bring in Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight. And, and it's just, to me, an organization that doesn't have a clear plan. And if they do, I don't quite understand what it is. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate that, that now Jeff Hornacek and Earl Watson have lost jobs due, I think, to ownership and management. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, you know, they, they had the worst season opening loss in NBA history to the Portland Trailblazers, who, I mean, unless they've turned over a new leaf this year, they're by no means known as a staunch defensive team. And the Blazers just absolutely killed them in every single way. I guess the only concern I'd have, too, against Phoenix is that, you know, maybe sometimes when teams fire a coach and you have an interim coach in there, there's like a new energy, kind of a new hype around a team. And, and you know, maybe something crazy like that happens that, that gets them going and they surprise us. But even that, I just don't see any reason why the Jazz shouldn't win this game. I actually think the Suns are going to be the worst team in the league this year. Um, even though they're in the West, I think they'll be worse than all the East teams. That's that's my prediction, and no reason why we shouldn't win on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's weird because the Suns actually do have like several interesting young players. Yeah, that's true. But I I almost feel like they have the wrong ones. Like like you have Devin Booker, and he's super talented, but to me, he plays one side of the floor, and he's well, a term from Seinfeld. He's like the ultimate chucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to me, Jeff. Josh Jackson, as talented as he is, I mean, I don't want to say like he's a malcontent, but I think you've seen some kind of—I I guess I guess I'll just come out and say red flags, um, just kind of with his personality and even how he plays. Uh, it's kind of a weird mix. As talented as they are, uh, I really like Alex Lynn, even though it's been a few years now and he kind of hasn't lived up to the billing. I like Bender a lot. I like Chris. Um, I just don't know that with that mix that, that those guys are really going to reach their ceilings or that the team is going to really get out of the cellar where they are now. Yeah, it just feels like they don't, they don't really, they haven't been able to really come together and put the pieces together. And, you know, maybe they're hoping that a, that a new coach hiring is going to do that. But then again, when you, when you hire a new coach, especially once the season's already underway, you know, that's just a lot of, of kind of rebooting that you have to do, a lot of new adjustments that don't usually um, translate over to success in the short term. So it's going to be a very long season for Phoenix this year, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. They're, they're, there's no way they're going to beat the Jazz. You, you, even on a back-to-back, I, I guess that's the only potential worry there, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, the, the nice thing too is, I mean, I think the OKC victory is a testament to this, but seems like we're deep enough now that back-to-backs aren't going to kill us as much as they may have in the past. Not to say they're not still a challenge, but it's nice to know that, hey, you know, if if Burks only played eight minutes in the in the front end, maybe we can play him longer in the second and still have a good guy out there that's going to score and make things happen. You know, we're just so deep that these back-to-backs may not be as much of a backbreaker as they once were. It's true. The, the, depth, the depth is real. Like, against the Thunder, I think Rubio had 36 or 37 minutes, and Gobert was kind of right around 30 and, and no other jazz man hit, hit the 30 minute mark and it's just a testament to their depth they, they go 12 deep they can play a lot of guys and use a lot of different combinations and, and you're right like in a situation like this i think they're much better equipped to cope yeah nail on the head there 
Um, what about uh, the last game of the week? Um, the Lakers will be coming to town on Saturday. You know, for me, that's almost, I mean, I think the Lakers are, are more talented than the Suns, obviously, but kind of the same story, especially yeah. since we're, we're going to have two days of rest. It's a back-to-back for them. I think that should be another annihilation game. The Jazz should just run them out of the building. It, it really should. And it's games like this that the Jazz really need to capitalize on because their schedule gets so crazy at various junctures throughout the year. Yep. And, and so, so you don't want a letdown to happen. Um, just, but just based on what we've seen so far, I, I don't expect I, I think they'll win handedly at home against the Lakers. I'm excited to see Lonzo Ball. The Lakers, like, like you said, like the Suns, they, they have some interesting players, and then I think they're better than the guys that the Suns have. But it's going to take some time for them, you know, depending on what happens in free agency. And I like Luke Walton, but I, I don't think he's going to take a win from Quinn Snyder at Vivint Arena. I agree, and the one thing, I, I could be misattributing this, but I believe it was Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune that on Twitter was mentioning something to the effect that, you know, the, the Lakers' young pieces, you know, they have these prospects that appear to be so talented, but the player development there has just been so mediocre that you have guys that, you know, really haven't improved much from their rookie years. We keep hearing how good Brandon, In- Brandon Ingram's going to be, um, but really he hasn't really seemed much better um, I mean, Lonzo Ball's obviously brand new, so we can't really rope him in yet. Um, but like Julius Randle, uh, Larry Nance, who's one of my favorite players that, that's not a jazz player, you know, they, they haven't taken as large a stride as you maybe would have liked to see based on their uh, potential coming in. And so it makes you just wonder what the player development's like there and what it's going to mean for a team like the Lakers long term. Yeah, and, and I would throw Jordan Clarkson in with that group as well. I mean, yeah. his rookie year, you look at him and people are like, wow, maybe this was the guy instead of Dante Exum. But, but he's he's not an efficient player, and I, I don't think he's gotten better since his rookie season. Maybe some of that development changes with with Walton, but, but almost want to cut Randall some slack because he missed the whole season. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, right out of the gate. But, but, but I'm with you that they're just not coming along like, like you would have thought they might. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's dead on. So... Anyway, so looks like from our preview of the week ahead, you know, I'm pinning the Jazz 3-0. and You have them maybe 2-1 and based on how they do against the Clippers. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a fun week, and I think either way, the Jazz are going to still be, you know, well above 500 by week's end. So great, great start if that ends up being the case, and excited to see what lies ahead. Yeah, 4-2, 5-1, I'll take it either way. It's, it's been an awesome run, and I think it'll continue. Yep, I agree. Perfect. Well, with that being said, let's move on to our third and final point of the show today. Point three. All right. For the third and final point today, you know, now that we've really dove in deep to the Jazz as far as how they've looked so far and what lies ahead for them in the week ahead, uh, Ryan and I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the league as a whole. Um, Obviously, the season is young for everybody, but really wanted to give our initial impressions of how the rest of the league is looking outside of the Utah Jazz. So I guess the first question I'd ask you, Ryan, is are there any teams that have surprised you so far? Anything that in this early going has really jumped out at you? I guess the obvious one is the Warriors. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone would have predicted they, they, they lost two of their first three games. Um, so, so that's been surprising for me. But, but, but that said, I, I don't think it really changes anything as far as their projection this year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And on the flip side of that, though, I would say I've, I've also been pretty surprised with the Grizzlies. Um, you know, I think that they, as much as the Warriors want to complain and think that every time they lose, it's the ref's fault or somebody else's fault, I think the Grizzlies just played a heck of a game. 
Um, in fact, I don't know if you saw that video of, of Curry's ejection, but I was just blown away that he would lose his cool on something so minimal where I really didn't think it was even worthy of a foul and he just blew up. Um, you know, my thoughts on, on that team and their persona is a whole different conversation that we'll avoid for today, but I, it just kind of blew my mind. I think the Grizzlies, you know, a lot of people had them pinned outside of the playoffs. Um, uh, I think I might've might had them ninth, but with the caveat that, you know, the Grizzlies always find a way, it just seems like every year they find a way to make the playoffs. So we'll see if that holds true, but they've surprised me so far. Um, on the positive side, just like you said, the Warriors have surprised me on the negative side so far. Yeah, like you look at the West standings and you think, oh, well, the Grizzlies, are, they're not going to be where they are. But like you said, and I think we've said it before, they're almost like a Spurs light. Like every year you think, okay, this is the year that they're, they're probably done. And, and they just continue to play well and, and to make the playoffs. And they're just so well coached and they have real pros, pros, like, like Gasol and Conley in there, and I don't know, I, <laughs> I still kind of think like there's no way they can, they can keep it up, but, but, you know, that's kind of what they do. Yeah, it's true, the, the Western Conference is just so weird right now, because there's so many teams that, like, if, if, you know, if there were more than just the eight spots in the West to make the playoffs, you know, if it was just a, um, you know, your gut reaction is this team going to make the playoffs? I feel like there's 10 to 11 of them where I'm like, yes, that's a playoff caliber team. Yes, they should be in the playoffs. But unfortunately, with the way yeah. it's set up, there's going to be, you know, three to four teams in the West that probably deserve to be there, but but aren't. And so I'm excited to just see how the year plays out. Maybe in a month or so, we'll kind of know and kind of start to see a little bit of separation. But it's just madness to me. So I, I agree with you there. So, you know, the other team that I wanted to bring up that's been kind of surprising to me, we talked about them earlier because the Jazz playing this week, is the Clippers. Um, you know, I kind of admitted that I feel like they've looked pretty good so far. Granted, it was against the Suns and the Lakers. But I, I am a little bit more high on the Clippers than I guess I was during the summer. I, I do think they'll very much be in the battle for, for a playoff spot. Uh, but again, you know, somebody's not going to make it. Somebody has to not make it. So we'll see who that ends up being. But the Clippers have looked good to me so far. Yeah, I kind of like we talked about like that they, they got to stay healthy and they've already had one injury uh, yeah. speaking of it it's been kind of sad around the league it has um, I, I'm sure we'll get I, I'm sure we'll get the Gordon Hayward but, but I mean Chris Paul's gone down for, for probably a month and Jeremy Lin yeah. is probably out for the year it's, it's been kind of crazy how many of these kind of catastrophic injuries have happened but, but if the Clippers can avoid that I think they'll be pretty good and they've been pretty good so far yeah, I agree. You know, actually, with that, let's just tra- let's just transition right over to Hayward. I mean, obviously, that was so horrifying and so sad to see, especially on opening night of a brand new season. All this hype, all this excitement about not only the NBA as a whole, but even just that Cavs-Boston matchup and how that was going to look this year. To see him go down five minutes in, you know, I know a lot of Jazz fans are, are sour about the way he left. But I, I think I speak for 99% of Jazz fans when we say you'd never wish that on anybody. It's just horribly sad to see that happen to Gordon Hayward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awful, and, and it could be career-altering. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't know how he'll come back from this. Uh, there was Paul George, and, and he's come back really well, and guys have come back from injuries like this in the past, but, but we just don't know, and it's really unfortunate. And it's even more unfortunate that, that the 1% is, is out there saying some, some pretty rough things yeah. to Gordon. And really, like, you can say what, what you want about how he, he went about his business. I think we'll agree that wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's just an awkward guy or a bad businessman. But, but personally, like, he's always seemed like a good dude and, and you want those guys to do well. And it's just, 
it's it's sad that that, that, that happened. Yeah, I think you put that really well, and it's you know you hope he makes a comeback like a Paul George and things like that, but it's it's not going to be an easy road, and and no one deserves something like that to happen to him. So it's it's really a shame. As far as his team, um, I'm going to be honest, Ryan. I'm a little nervous for the Celtics just in general. Um, to be frank, I never really thought they would challenge the Cavs even with Gordon Hayward. I just think LeBron is still too good and the Cavs are still too deep. But now with Hayward gone and, and likely you know out for the season, as we know, I mean, you look at how much depth they, they had to kind of part with just to get Hayward. And now that he's gone... I'm not even so sure that the Celtics are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, Kyrie wanted to be the guy. Well, congratulations, Kyrie. You're the guy now, and, and good luck. I think it's going to be a tough road for him and his, and his Celtics team. Yeah, I, I mean, they have Jalen Brown, who I think is really good and, and can help them cope with the loss a little bit. But it's going to hurt him. And I'm with you. I think it was kind of dicey to begin with, and, and now he's not going to be there. And, and you have teams like the Washington Wizards who... I, I don't know they're a surprise team for me, but they're really good. And, and, and I think an injury like this opens doors, and, and they're a team that, that can take advantage. Yeah, I agree. I would say that, you know, kind of talking about other teams and other reactions around the league that, that this kind of affects, I think the Bucks could be a sleeper team in the East, especially if the Celtics struggle without Hayward. Uh, I could see the Bucks, you know, really slipping into the top three in the East potentially. Um, Antetokounmpo, as a lot of people are saying, is the, the three-game MVP that he's just looked phenomenal so far. And I'd love to see how far he can take the Bucks if, if Jabari Parker can come back and finally be the player that we all thought he would be when he entered the league. The, the Bucks could really be a sleeper in my mind. I still don't think they'll beat the Cavs. I mean, the Cavs just beat them pretty handily recently. Um, but maybe the Bucks are the yeah. sleeper team that makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Who knows? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and, and if Parker does come back... Like, that's really an X-factor. I think they could be really good if he can get to anything close to what we thought he'd be. Um, but but just with his history, I mean, it's hard to expect anything. You, you just Anything you get from him, I think, is icing on the cake at this point. Mm-hmm. But they're baking a pretty nice cake as it is. And, and I'm with you. I think, I, I think they could be a home court team in the East for sure. Yeah. Then there's the the Spurs that you know without Kawhi Leonard they're they're two and zero, and one of their wins came against the Timberwolves who figured to be you know quite an impressive Western Conference opponent this year. And um, I'm still sticking strong. I know a lot of people are, are pinning the Rockets above the Spurs. I still think Spurs are going to be the number two team in the West. And uh, when they get Kawhi back, it's going to be fun to see what they can be. Uh, I don't know. I think Rudy Gay is going to be a nice fit there. I think Lamarcus Aldridge he has an extension now. I was reading an article not too long ago that him and Pop, I feel like they're in a better place now as far as figuring out how to best utilize him. I really think the Spurs are still going to be just as dangerous as ever this year. Yeah, I agree. And Aldridge really has sort of embraced his role, and that's only going to help the Spurs. And I, To me, it's the Rockets and the Spurs, like it's almost a pick-on situation, but I think the injury to Chris Paul is going to set them back because I thought it was going to take time anyway for them to kind of get up the full bore. And the Spurs are the Spurs, and they'll continue to be the Spurs. And Parker's out, but that's not really going to hurt them, I don't think. And, and, and Kawhi, when he comes back, they're just going to get better. And they're just the class of the league, and it's going to continue to be that way. Yeah, without a doubt. Perfect. Well, with that, Ryan, I think that that'll, that'll do it for today's show. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I know a lot of these predictions we're making are based off a of very small sample size, both for the Jazz and for the league as a whole, but... 
Um, excited to see how it all plays out. I think that we'll have a better idea here in another couple weeks as the cream of the crop starts to separate themselves and some of the teams that are going to be underperforming are going to show their true colors. But i um, excited to see how it pans out. Uh, thanks a ton for joining the show today, Ryan. Yeah, it's great. So just a reminder, all you listeners out there, uh, make sure you tune into the show on Dash Radio. It'll be every single Monday at noon. I'd love to have you there. If you missed that show, um, the Three Point Threat podcast will still be going up every single time um, on Blog Talk Radio as well as on the jnotes.com. Make sure to give Ryan and I both a follow on there. His handle is at roundballruckus. Mine is just at Jared Woodcox. And follow us on at the jnotes as well to keep up on all your jazz fix. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Looking forward to a fun week ahead, and go jazz.